Uh, we're in the middle of a winter series in the book of Exodus. Now, just to set the scene for anyone that's new, the Israelites are in Egypt under slavery by this evil king called Pharaoh. God sends Moses to Egypt to rescue them, but Pharaoh refuses to listen to God. And, and Pharaoh asks this really interesting question. Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? Who is the Lord that I should listen to his voice? And to that, God responds by sending 10 plagues upon Egypt and its people. And each of these plagues bringing more destruction and more despair each time to the Egyptians. And the final plague, the final plague of the firstborn, where the firstborn of every Egyptian was killed, Pharaoh finally bows to God's request to let God's people go. And last week, that's the story of the Passover that we saw. We saw that, that, that Pharaoh said, get out, and all of Israel got to leave Egypt. And that's what we call the Exodus. Now, at this point of the story, if you haven't read further into the story, you'll be like, wow, they're finally free. They're finally free. And we think that this is going to be the end of their slavery slash relationship between um, God's people and Egypt. But God had one more chapter uh, that becomes the exclamation point of uh, his response to Pharaoh's question, who are you and why should I listen to you? And today we're going to talk about a very, very famous scene in the Bible. Um, it's where the Red Sea is split and God's people walk through. Oh, I just ruined the story, didn't I? Anyway, they walk through. <laughs> the end. Let's pray. We're in Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 to 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Harioth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite to Bar Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So they've left, they've left, oh, this is, Ren's meant to be on camera and I'm going to move. And I'm going, to, I'm going to trick him. I've decided I'm going to walk around a bit more today. I'm a bit more confident today. <laughs> so the Israelites, right, and we're counting something like 1.6, 1.8 million people get up and they leave Egypt. And we think, oh, they're, they're free now. They're just going to go. But we see this really interesting situation where they find themselves, and, and I don't have a map, but pretty much they find themselves between two mountains and what we know as the Red Sea. And in, in a sense, they're trapped. They're going to find themselves trapped between these two mountains and this Red Sea. And but we're going to realize, what we've got to realize is that this is all part of God's plan, and we're going to get back to this. So, all the Israelites are marching out, 1.8 million of them. Freedom, finally got our freedom. And they're walking and suddenly there's this massive sea or piece of water in front of them. 
And they look back. And what's gone back in Egypt is Pharaoh has moved from being despair because his son has been killed. And that despair has become anger. And so Pharaoh's super mad now. And he's changed his mind. He said, wait a minute. <laughs> Why did we let 1.8 million slaves go? That's it. Let's bring him back. So he gets his whole army. And he's chasing now after the, the, the Israelites. And so we see this scene. The Israelites thought they were free. And suddenly now they're trapped. They look forward. It's just a sea. They look back. You see the Egyptian army just coming at them. And from their perspective, they're like, we're stuffed. We're either going to die in the ocean or we're going to get killed by the Israelites. And we see this in verse 10 to 12. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't you say, uh, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And so we're, we're not just talking about, man, this is a bad decision. We're talking about this is a life and death, really, 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 really bad situation that they find themselves in. And they're complaining, they're looking for someone to blame. And so who do they blame? They blame Moses. And indirectly, not only Moses, but they're indirectly blaming God. God, what? Man, if you, if you were going to bring us out to kill us, why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? And that's what they're saying. Moses replies to the people in verse 13. And th this is the key verse for tonight. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then Moses does the famous thing, right? You would have seen it in Prince of Egypt or Exodus or whatever movie you've seen. He stands right in front of the sea. He takes his staff and he, and he raises it. And at that point, the sea splits. Right? Imagine if you could do that Sydney Harbour. You're stuck in traffic. need to get into the city. You get to Luna Park and you just go. And then suddenly just straight into Kirribilli, you know? It's hard for us to imagine this because we just go, how, do, how is this possible? And, and for a moment, you have to just go, okay, wait a minute. Like, I have to try to understand this, not on my level, but on God's level, that he can actually separate water from water. Well, he can because he's God. And you have to use your imagination, right? I, I was thinking about this. How, how, how's the best way to explain this? If you go to the aquarium, if you go to Sydney Aquarium, uh, this is not a sponsored message, by the way. But if you go to Sydney Aquarium, um, there's two tunnels you can go, and you actually go underneath the water, right? And, and, and they've got these big sort of glass domes you can walk through, and the, and the fish and the sharks, they just swim above you and, and next to you. And I think that's kind of what it would look like. Right, these two big aquariums on the left and the right, and you and the dry land in the middle, and 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 the Israelites get to walk through the sea. Now, I'd love to um, try to explain this to you in a way that is like, "Whoa, that's so crazy! Like that's so unimaginable, and that's so miraculous." Uh, this is the best I've got at the moment. 
right? Just imagine two massive water tanks and you're just walking through, like straight through Sydney Harbour. But not only that, the story continues on where 1.8 million Israelites are walking through the sea, right? They're literally walking between two walls of water, right, on dry ground, right? They're looking back and the Egyptian army is still chasing them. And so as they're walking, the Egyptian army is still coming. And they get to the point where the Egyptian army is now in the sea too, right? Think about it, right? The, the, the Israelites are walking. The Egyptians are in chariots. Okay, so they're obviously going to catch up, right? And so the Israelites come, uh, sorry, the Egyptians come into the water. They're now in between the two water walls as well. But we see that God intervenes and he starts messing around with their wheels, right? And he starts messing around with their equipment. And, and then suddenly they find themselves, this, the, the whole army of Egypt, is now kind of stuck in the middle of two walls of water. And then the scene continues, and and it's this amazing scene, right? The final Israelite walks through the water. 1.8 million Israelites have walked through the sea, and the last one walks through. Right behind them is the whole Egyptian army. And then Moses raises his staff again, and the two walls of water collapse onto the whole of the Egyptian army. We see this, we pick it up, verse 28. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. No one of them survived. It's a crazy story. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. So we see this complete distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians. All of God's people has walked through the sea and they are clean. They're not, they're not wet. They don't even get their feet wet. And yet the whole Egyptian army that followed them to try to capture them, to try to recapture their slaves, the water comes and the whole army is destroyed. Huge distinction. There's a few things that, as I said, it's a story that many of us have heard before. And it's one, honestly, even while preparing this, it was really hard to go, well, how do I explain this in a way that it's miraculous? How do we explain that? How do we explain the, the, the presence of miracles in our day and age? You know, like, we're also skeptical. You know, these days, the way we define the word miracle is so different. Like, back in the day, God splits the sea and we go, what a miracle. These days, I walk past the McDonald's and I don't go in. That's a miracle. You know, like we define miracle very differently. That is a miracle, by the way. But they're real. And I think this is the first thing we need to understand is that, that miracles happen. There are things that happen outside of our normal human realm that we can't explain that that happened for, for crazy good. 
Anyway, there are three things. Three things? There's always three things. I think there's three things. There's a few things that we need to understand from this story. The first one is this, the sovereignty of God. Now, the word sovereignty means supreme power or authority. Supreme power or authority. Now, we use this term to describe God in not just this story, but in the whole book of Exodus. See, the whole Exodus was planned by God. It was his perfect plan to save the Israelites out of slavery. During the plagues, he, he, God, God doesn't just send one plague with one person, but he ends up sending 10 plagues, each with a specific purpose, each with a specific outcome. This is his perfect plan to Pharaoh's question, who are you and why should I listen to you? And we see this might and power throughout these plagues. And even in the chapter we read today, we see the perfect plan and his authority once again. Verse 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And, And just like that, with his power and dominion of nature demonstrated, he split water. He split water. No one can do that. No human being has the power slash the authority to split nature. Not just just demonstrating his power and dominion over nature, but his power over the enemies of his people, the Egyptians. See, it's one thing to split the sea, and it's another to plan for the enemies to go through and then put the water back in. And we see God shows us his supreme power and authority through today's passage. And here's the question. If you believe that this story is to be real, this is the very, very important question. If you believe this story to be real, not just some Disney fairy tale, not just some you know, fable that we read, but if you believe that this story actually happened, alongside with everything else that is written in the Bible to be actually the truth. How can we deny that there is anyone like our God? How can we come even close to comparing God that is uh, comparing God to anything that is in the created universe? And this is what we need to ask ourselves. It's not just we see the picture of a powerful and supreme God. It's really asking ourselves if, that, if we really believe that to be true, right? And even if we go back to Genesis 1-1, the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If we truly believe that in the beginning God created the universe, then our attitude and our thoughts toward God, they should be different. They should be different. It's not just, does God exist? But do we truly believe that he is the great I am? Something for us to think about. So the first thing we see is the sovereignty of God. The second thing that we see is the fickleness of man. If we describe God as being sovereign, then the right way to describe man is the word fickle. 
Now, fickle means likely to change, especially due to change of mood or behavior, internal or external surroundings and circumstances. To be fickle is to be like a flip-flop. You know, something changes and you jump to this side. Something changes and you jump to this side. And something changes and you jump to this. I'm just doing this just to keep Ren awake. (laughs) Just to keep the cameraman on his toes tonight. You know what? We're so fickle. People are so fickle. I know this because I have four children. One day, Dad, I really want to eat a banana. And we got no bananas. And it's the one day they want to eat bananas. Dad, I really want to eat a banana, but we don't have any bananas. But I really want to eat a banana. I'm going to die if I don't eat a banana. Kids are so dramatic. I don't know where they get that from. Actually, I do. <laughs> my, wife's, my wife's looking at me. It's me. I admit it. I'm dramatic. And then the next day, I go to the shops and I buy a whole big bunch of bananas. Hey, kids, look. You guys wanted banana yesterday. You said you were going to die if you didn't eat banana. Here's a whole bunch of bananas. And they go, oh, I don't, we don't really feel like banana. Oh, I don't really like banana. What do you mean you don't like banana? You just told me you're dying if you don't eat banana. But that's who we are. We're like that. When our mind changes, when our mood changes, <sighs> so many controversial things I could say about mood changes and women and, but I won't. I'll just leave it right there. Okay? I'll leave it right there. You know, like, we're so fickle. Something changes and we change. We're poor, we're sad. We're rich, we're happy. We get invited to dinner, we're happy. No one turns up to dinner, we're sad. Little things change and, and our whole mood changes. You know, some people, um, weather, weather, like physiologically, people, their moods change because of weather. I have an example of this myself. When I was in university, the first thing that I would do is when I woke up, I would open my blind. And if it was a sunny day, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to go to class. So I'd get up and go. But if I pulled the blind and if it was a rainy day, for some reason, I just didn't want to go. So I didn't go. Right? Fickle. We're fickle. Our mood is dependent on things around us. We see this in this passage. These Israelites, they're so fickle. Right? They just witnessed 10 plagues. They just witnessed God bring down hail and boils and frogs and turn the river into the Nile and kill the firstborn of everything. They just saw all of that, right? And then they find themselves between a sea and the army and then suddenly they've changed. Suddenly like they turn on God so quickly. And then they turn again because after, after Moses splits the Red Sea, they go through it and then at the end of the passage, we see that they, they feared God and they trusted him. That, that's, that's who we are. We're fickle. Why is this important for, for us to know? Right? Why is this important for us? It's to know and have the right view of ourselves. 
It's to not overestimate ourselves in who we are. It's to not give ourselves too much credit for things that actually have nothing to do with us. When life is going well, we credit ourselves for making this happen. And suddenly when life goes bad, we either blame ourselves or worse, we blame others around us. We're so quick to do that. We look at the Israelites and we think, man, you guys just witnessed 10 plagues. You just saw the hand of God and suddenly you're changing your mind. Suddenly you're going to you know, you know, um, turn your back on God just like that. You know what? We're like that. If we were there, we would have done exactly the same thing. We're no different. This is to show how different we are from God. We are so dependent on everything around us to make us who we are and our mood and our situation, which we change because of what's around us. But God does not because he's the great I am. He is not dependent on anything or anyone. We ourselves are fully dependent on those around us for our identity, our value, and our worth. And this is why we need God. This is why we need God. Because here's the question. Who will you turn to in your time of need? See, this is the difference between God and us. Because number one, God never has a time of need. God is never in trouble, so therefore doesn't need to turn to anyone. But we do. We need God because we get ourselves into trouble. God does not need a savior because he does not need to be saved, but we do. And if we don't, if we can't admit that, we're either delusional or arrogant. The third thing. So we see the sovereignty of God, the fickleness of man, and finally the salvation of God. The word salvation just means to be saved. The Israelites cried out to Moses, what shall we do? The sea is in front of us. The Egyptian army is behind us. What shall we do? And this is Moses' reply. He replied to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you And you need only to be still. Moses tells the Israelites to do three things. Number one, do not be afraid. Number two, stand firm. Number three, be still. Now, can I say, if I was Moses, and if I was in that situation, that is not the advice that I would have given. If I saw the sea in front, and I saw the Egyptian army behind me, and I had 1.8 million people under my leadership, My advice would be, put on your swimmers. Some of you are going to have to swim. Some of you get your sword. Some of you are going to have to fight the guys at the back. Some of you hide in the trees. Some of you just get on your knees and start begging. Those that can't swim, can't fight, you just beg. Right? But what Moses says is the complete opposite. He says, stand there and don't be afraid. Why? Why? With what confidence did Moses have to say this? And it's in that final phrase. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. The salvation of the Israelites had nothing to do with the Israelites. And we've been, we've been banging this drum for a while. 
They were not saved because they were good. They were not saved because they did anything to or to not be saved. It had nothing to do with whether the Israelites could fight or swim or run away or anything to do with their behavior. It all came from God. All they needed to do was to not fear, to stand firm and to be still. How many times in our lives when we're facing problems externally or internally, do we do the complete opposite? Whenever we're facing issues, whenever we're facing trouble, what's the first thing we do? We worry. What's the second thing we do? We try to work it out ourselves. We try to, we go through the phone book, we look at our bank account, we look at our schedule, and we try to fix our own problems. Why? Because we try to be our own saviour. And yet the people of God, the people of God, the Israelites at the time, they are called to remain still and to trust, not in themselves, but to trust in God. What if we truly believe tonight? Whether we're here or whether we're joining us on the live stream, what if you were to believe tonight from the bottom of your heart, you really, really, really believed that the same God that said to the Israelites in their time of need, I will fight for you, is the same God and saying the same thing to you tonight, I will fight for you. What would that change? Can I tell you? It changes everything. Because you don't wake up. You don't wake up in the morning trying to work out your life. You wake up in the morning asking God to work it out in your life. When facing problems in our lives, it's not about us trying to find a solution, but it's about trusting God who knows us, who created us, who is sovereign over everything and believing that he's going to fight for us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of my life verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. I love this verse. I love this verse because I, I think this is the biggest struggle in my life is to believe this verse in the depths of my heart that I would say, I do not worry and I do not fear And I do not trust in myself, my own understanding, my own expertise, my own finance, my own networks, or my own brilliance to deal with the issues in my life because I trust God and because He will make my life straight. He will make my path straight, not me. The Bible tells us over and over again, trust God. Trust God and he will make your path straight. He will fight your battle. He will deliver you from evil. It's got nothing to do with us. It's got nothing to do with how strong you are, how smart you are, how much money you have or don't have. But it's all to do with who God is and what God can do. So the question is, why is it so hard for us to believe that? Why is it so hard for us to live that verse out in our life? We all got problem. We all have problems in our lives. Whether you're here, whether you're in life, every single one of us has problems. Why is it so hard for us 
to trust God in those moments. Why is it so hard for us to turn to God in our lives, whether in time of need or in plenty? And you know what it comes down to? It comes down to the struggle to believe from the bottom of our hearts. Mosquito got him. That was from the devil. That was the devil trying to distract me from my sermon. We struggle to believe from the bottom of our hearts that God is the great I am. That's it. That's why we find it hard to trust God. Because we find it hard to believe that God is who he says he is in the Bible. Because if we truly did believe God is the great I am. right? Take a moment, really think about this. Right? I really want you to get this one tonight. If you truly, from the bottom of your heart, believe that God is who the Bible says the God is, and that when God says all you need to do is to stand firm and be still and don't be afraid, we would live our lives completely differently. We would live without fear. We'd live without anxiety. We'd live without worry. Why? Because we trust God. The problem is we don't trust God because we don't believe from the bottom of our hearts, that he is who he says he is. We don't believe that he is the great I am. We don't believe that he's in our corner and he's actually going to fight for us. That's why we have to get up and try to fight ourselves. That's why we we don't trust him. We trust ourselves because we, we don't believe that he is God Almighty. But imagine if you did. This God who split the Red Sea, whether you can comprehend that or not. You think that the God who created the heavens and the earth, he split the Red Sea, can't deal with your problems? He can't deal with your addictions? He can't deal with the brokenness in your life? You think that God can't do that? He can do that. It's not that God can't do it. It's you that can't believe or trust God to do that for you. That's the question. Never in this will we ever question the power of God. It's, it's not a question of can God do it. No, God can do it. It's a question of do you trust that? Do you believe that? So let's land the plane. Let's make it personal. Right? Because you know, no one's standing between an Egyptian army and the Red Sea. Okay? No one is. But you, you're standing in front of stuff. You know, we're in the most chaotic moment of our existence at the moment with this whole virus pandemic. You know, some of us are facing financial difficulties. Some of us are facing loss in family and brokenness in relationship. Some of us are going crazy because we can't go to work and we have to work from home. And you just, you, you're just going crazy. Some of us dealing with, with mental, uh, mental health issues, depression. Anxiety. What's going on in your life right now that you find yourself between a rock and a hard place? Maybe you've been dealing with this stuff for a while and you're just like, I I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how to fix this. Maybe you're dealing with a broken relationship in your life. Maybe you're dealing with illness, physical or mental. Maybe you just wake up and you just don't want to get out and you don't know what to do and you don't know how to feel and you don't know where to turn to. 
the God of the God of the Bible is saying to you tonight, hey, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. I'll save you. And when you get into trouble, I'll fight for you. This is what the Bible tells us. God promises to deliver his people and he does. You know, we don't just read this amazing story about Exodus and go, wow, that was a great story. That's going to at least produce four movies. You know, Disney would 100%, that's a great Disney movie. No, it's not. That's real life. This really happened. And he brought them out of Egypt. He, he split the Red Sea. This crazy, this crazy idea of splitting oceans. He saved his people. Through that, he destroyed Egypt. And not only that, he saved us out of what I would say is our Egypt, out of our slavery, and that's our slavery to our sin. The thing that separates you and I with God is our sin. The thing that separates us from being in perfect relationship with God is the rebellion and the rejection we have in our hearts towards God. The one that questions God, are you really you? Like I look at the stars and I think, is that really, did you really create that? Do I really have to listen to you? And we ask ourselves that question, who is the Lord that I should obey? His voice. And we question that and we, we, we reject the God of the Bible and we rebel against the God of the Bible. We say, we don't need you, God. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to be my own savior. I'm going to work it out for myself. And my question is, how's that going for you? How's that going for you? And can I tell you, even if you've got it all together, the best you'll get is a really nice coffin. And then what? And then what will you do? Friends, when we were found helpless in our sin, God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross to save us on behalf of us, to replace us. He did it and not us. He saved us, not our works. And so when God says, do not be afraid, stand firm and be still, you have to ask yourself, who is it? Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice. And if we truly believe that the Lord is the great I am, the creator of the heaven and the earth, the all-sovereign one, almighty and all-powerful, and if we believe that in our hearts, then do you know what you need to do? You just need to obey. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and be still. I pray that over your life today. I pray that over all the chaos that's happening in the world. I pray that over the addictions and the hardships that you're going through. I pray that over the brokenness in your life, all the things that you're like, I can never get out of this. I will never be, I will never be fixed. I will never be, I'm never be good enough. And, and you know what? I'm saying to you, God will fight for you. Not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. You're his child and he loves you. And I pray that this wouldn't just be a good sermon but I pray that this would become truth. Truth that will transform your life. Truth that will transform your future. 
Let's pray.